All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode four of the Fuel Life podcast. And today we have George Pitlick with us. And for everyone who already know, or for everyone who doesn't know already, the Fuel Life podcast is a conversation where we get to under, uncover what actually leads a person to have the passions that they have and follow the journey in life that they they appreciate, whether it be in business, personal life, or in their health endeavors. And George is kind of a person that I really look up to, and I'll tell you why in a moment. George Pitlick, he is incredible. Something I appreciate about him is how much he cares about honing his craft in everything that he does. His attention to detail and dedication to consistency is kind of unparalleled in my opinion. He's known by many as the country's most experienced web designer, seven-time undefeated BC Latin champion, a dedicated cyclist, as well as a loving husband and father. If you look at everything he does, consistency, dedication, and attention to detail is present. He has been designing websites for as long as the web has been around. He's seen things <laughs> that they've evolved in ways that no other web designer getting into the industry nowadays can truly appreciate. At the age of 18, he owned a roofing company, went on to found an ad agency, and put together proposals for top executives in his early 20s. This is a man who makes things happen and expresses a level of dedication towards his community that inspires. He has a deep curiosity and appreciation for simplicity. And honestly, speaking personally for a second, I find George to be one of the people I look up to most and someone that I want to emulate. He keeps himself healthy, fit, and strong, expresses creativity through movement and design. He's tech savvy, carves out time to be a loving husband and father to his wife, Wendy, and kids. I want to be like George. And today we get to uncover the magic behind a man of consistency, George Pitlick. So welcome George to the Feel Life podcast. Welcome George. Uh, I hope you didn't oversell me, but uh, I appreciate the, the kind words. <laughs> You're welcome. And, and Sharon, what are you excited about in this conversation? Um, well, George brought up a really good point, And what he wanted to share was the impact of consistency in our daily life. And that has been something I would personally say that I struggle with a lot. Um, and finding that path to be consistent and I think a lot of people resonate with that as well so I'm just really excited to learn from George and see you know where does that come from to to have um, a consistent mindset periodically and what do you look up to um, in the future when you practice these kinds of things so yeah welcome George awesome so George obviously you didn't just like come upon this and there are many instances in your life where consistency has kind of been like the bread and butter whether it be within dance whether it be in design branding or whatever the case do you have an early memory of when you first kind of decided that you were going to hone in on consistency uh, yeah definitely now uh, consistency is uh, it's not an opposition to change. I'm actually a bit of a rebel and I'm one of those people that's very comfortable with change where a lot of people are not that comfortable with change. I'm very comfortable with change. Uh, so, and I always have been. So it's not about resisting change. 
it's about being grounded in different values. And that uh, I can still be willing to evolve and change and adapt. You know, we have to adapt. We have to evolve with understanding of each other as humanity, you know, being more sensitive to the people around us, things like that. We as, as uh, human beings, we keep adapting to those things and that's important. So consistency is not a lack of uh, or a resistance to change. When I was young, uh, my dad influenced me a lot because he was very focused on excellence. I'm doing things well. He was a cabinet maker trained in Germany. He had been, when they go through the, uh, the apprenticeship program, it would be like the first two years, he was only allowed to sweep the floor and, and watch people making cabinets, doing all that, that great stuff. Couldn't even touch the tools uh, other than to clean them. And then gradually allowed to touch things, allowed to do things. So it's a process and they train you to respect everything involved. So we're here in North America, we tend to, to jump right into things. Uh, in Europe, they, it's a real long, time-consuming process, uh, which is one of the reasons why German engineering is so highly valued, right? Because there is that excellence behind it, that respect for quality. Uh, so my dad influenced me a lot in that respect, but I was a rebel and we didn't get along very well. Uh, he was frustrated with me for a variety of reasons. I was frustrated with him for a variety of reasons. And I moved out of the house when I was 16, decided to live on my own. So I was still in high school. Uh, my grades had actually been going downhill because I was so busy fighting my parents. I, you know, you're, when you're in that mindset, you damage yourself without even realizing it. And now that I was on my own, there was nobody to fight and it caused me to rethink a whole bunch of things. So I was walking to school one morning. I lived uh, about two kilometers from the high school and this old geezer stopped me on the road. Walking up this, this hill toward the school, old geezer's coming down the hill toward me and he kind of just gets in my path and stops me and he says, make the most of your school day, son. You can never go back. And so it kind of stuck with me. I went to school the rest of the day. I was thinking about what he had said. Am I, am I making the most of what I'm here for? And I, I decided I had to make some changes in my life. So I made a bunch of changes and uh, got more focused on, you know, what do I want to do with my life and what's it going to take to get there? And that's where I kind of developed this need to be, uh, to be grounded in who I am understand who I am and to use that as a foundation for everything. Things like integrity, uh, being somebody that you can trust, um, being good at what I do, whatever it was. And I decided I was going to be good at advertising. So that became a focus. And, uh, you know, I've been partying a lot up until then. I even, you know, I hitchhiked all over Canada, down to Mexico, you know, traveling by myself. Uh, more to see the world, see what people are like everywhere, but it gave me lots of time to think about who I was and to compare myself to what's out there, what are people like, uh, and set something out that was a little distinctive from the others. So that's kind of where it all started. So, so it sounds like the kind of common thread I'm hearing is like this self-reflection piece was paramount in you being able to um, uncover how to move forward and 
also patience. Um, being able to respect the process, like you described with your, your dad, like first listening, then doing, and not rushing the process. And I mean, with the web, everything changing, like it is totally different nowadays than it was when you were initially designing websites and being okay with change. Is it the consistent, or sorry, is it the, is it the self-reflection? Do you imagine that allows you to be okay with change? What, what allows you to be so okay with change and how things come to you to move forward? I think that's just something that is part of my personality. Mm. I think that you have the different personality types and some are willing to adapt and want new experiences and some don't and that's fine you can be whoever you like now there was a teacher in high school that i really respected uh, he really influenced me in a strong way his name was marlon bays he was a graphic arts teacher but he didn't just teach me how to be good at at the communication uh, the process of communication but he taught me to be great at being a human being uh, and I remember one time somebody had damaged some piece of equipment in the high school uh, in the graphics department. And I said, oh, it wasn't me, innocent little statement. And he pulled me aside and he says, he says, I know it wasn't you. You didn't have to say that. He says, you will come across as having a lot more integrity if you just keep quiet. If it wasn't you, don't say anything. It was these little lessons that uh, really helped me to understand things about communication that went way deeper than just, uh, you know, what are you saying in an advertisement or in a headline? It's how, how do people react to things? There's that element of uh, all communication is what the person receives, not what you're actually saying. So you can be saying one thing and somebody is hearing something completely different. So you have to be sensitive to what are they actually going to receive? And uh, Marlon Bayes helped me to, to get that, to understand some of that. So, so in a lot of ways, he crafted some of my consistency through uh, making my, my personality um, someone that you can trust. You know, when you think about trust, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote this book back in, I think it was 1886, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it's an iconic book. And why is it iconic? It's a horror story about somebody that is not who you think he is. And that really gets to the greatest fear that human beings have. They're, you know, the horror stories that we connect with the most are somebody who isn't who we think. The Tinder swindler, for example, right? People are fascinated by it because it's not the person that, this, that they thought it was. So that's our greatest fear. At the opposite end of the spectrum are people who are exactly who you think they are. They're grounded in their own uh, foundation of commitment and being there on time, doing what they say they're gonna do. Uh, if things go wrong, they accept the blame. They don't blame somebody else. If things, uh, if they didn't do something, they just keep quiet. They don't need to say anything. And if they did it, they own up to it. So that's what we admire. We, we trust those people. So you have the two 
perspectives, right? It's the more inconsistent you are, the less people can trust you. And the more consistent you are, the more they can trust you. But you can still change things. You can still be involved in changing the world. Uh, but if you have that foundation, uh, that builds trust. So Marlon Bay's helped me to understand some of those things about uh, how people respond to you as a person and shaped a lot of my character. That's amazing, George. And I really love how, you know, even your teacher had an experiencing, uh, had an experience in your um, moment of finding what consistency means to you and that example of integrity and being honest and open in the moments. Um, I'm just curious, was there any other point in your career where you had some additional person or some type of event that really helped impact you as a person to build this kind of mindset that you have currently? Good question. I think there probably were a great many uh, people and incidents that cemented it more. Um, sometimes it's just having to make the decision uh, I remember one case, I was running my ad agency. I had done a print job for one of the clients. We printed a poster. This was before the internet existed. Everything was done in print and printing was expensive. So a poster could cost $2,500, $3,000 easily just to have a few posters printed. So this, this uh, we had a big print job for this client and I wanted to print a poster for another client at the same time. And I thought, well, I can save some money by having the two jobs put on the same sheet of paper in the printing press. Uh, I knew a lot about printing and, and that's one of the ways that you can save some money. But in the process, because the designs were so different, the way printing presses work is they run the ink over, you know, the ink adheres to this metal plate and then it comes off onto the paper and the, the drum rotates and it picks up new ink and then it drops it on the paper. Well, what happens is if you have a design that's a certain way, uh, it might have a lot of one color. And by the time it gets to the second half of the sheet, that color has been largely used up. There's not enough of it. A, a normal person wouldn't notice the difference, but as an expert, I would notice the difference. And so some of the skin tones weren't quite what I wanted. They didn't have the warmth that I wanted. And I realized it was my fault. So I had a decision to make, you know, what am I going to do about this? The poster for the one client just was not up to the quality that I expect of myself, what I would call it. Nobody else probably would have noticed. If I had shipped it to them, they probably wouldn't have noticed. But I have to satisfy my own uh, integrity. Otherwise I'm cheating myself. And so I made the decision, it was an expensive decision, spend 3,000 bucks and reprint the poster. Uh, I didn't even tell the client. That kind of stuff, you just, sometimes you just have to, you know, you come to a bridge, you have to make that decision and, but it grounds you when you do it. Mm -hmm. It makes you better at being that person you wanna be because you've made that decision. I just want to like hone in on something for a second because I think that it's a feature that you've illustrated before when you were speaking, but not needing to tell the client. Um, I think a lot of us will seek the validation or, you know, try to reclaim uh, that 
that that pain of needing to spend the extra money. And I'm just wondering if you can maybe highlight、uh, the importance of, you know, or why you did stay quiet around that. Well, would it have? Would what? Who would have gained, and why? It would have been for me if I said something to try and make me look better in the eyes of the client. That's not the goal. The goal is to do the right job. And if I screwed up, why would I say anything that didn't need to be said? I fixed the problem. The client hadn't seen the earlier poster, so what does it matter? As long as I gave him a quality product at the end of the day. Was there any comment or feedback from them after that? Did you have any type of? Like positive commentary about the product that you finally gave them, or, or was it just something that you knew for the longest time, but they they never knew themselves? They never knew. They still don't know to this day, and it doesn't matter. I delivered the quality product that I expected to deliver. That's all that matters.、Mm. Well, that's awesome. Sometimes it really means a lot just to be in. Have that integrity for ourselves,、um, and know that we are practicing to be what we believe in as our values. So I think that's really amazing, George. And it really is only our integrity, right?、Mm-hmm. Our integrity is our integrity, and it's something that we can only guard. It's not where we don't. We have no responsibility for other people's integrity. And I think that that's kind of what I'm hearing, and the lesson behind it. And again, it's patience, as well. Um, and honoring what you really want to deliver to the the client and to everything that you do. I know that you've shared with me, you know, in regards to dance and all of the different things that you've、uh, that you represent there. The, the the attention to detail and like the the fine movements in order for things to look and be presentable to the audience. These small little things that no one else will see, but you will. It matters these small little things, and in branding too. And I think、um, in in a world where there's a lot of quick fixes in web design, in design, a lot of shortcuts that are taken.、Um, what would be the the benefit of people slowing down? What can people achieve by slowing down and maybe posturing a bit of patience? Instead, the obviously、uh, a lesson I learned many many years ago. You have three options with anything that you produce or that you buy: speed, price, and quality. And you can never have all three. You have to choose two. Always,、and、that's true of everything. So if you choose speed. Are you going to give up price, or are you going to give up,、uh, or are you going to sacrifice quality? You have to sacrifice one of those other two. If you choose quality, you you have to sacrifice either speed or price. You can get quality at a very high price, and then、uh, you know you might be able to to get it fast, or you can get it at the regular speed, but then you're gonna or at the regular price, but then you're gonna have it much later. Than you expected.、Uh, so, of any of those three, you can only have two. I cannot agree with that more because that's something I learned in business school, actually. 
Um, and that's so true. When when we even think about applying that to our daily life and our work, and if we want to do something better, it usually does take more time. Or if we want to do something better, it does result in something that's higher quality and maybe more um, pricey. But the, the time it takes to do that is really, really long, of course. So thank you for that reminder. And also, George, I remember another of your key messages you shared with us earlier to live your life with like boldness and positivity. So I think we touched upon like consistency and excellence. I'm wondering where this um, other message of yours, where that might stem from, if anything. Did this grow from like an experience that you had when you were in your younger years? Positivity, uh, probably that came from my mom. She, I remember she would go into my room when I was just tiny and she was always cheerful. She'd open the curtains and she'd say, good morning, sunshine, you know, and the sunshine would come in and, and, and there was something warm and welcoming about that greeting every morning. So I would learn to appreciate that positive energy. Um, in, in my household, it was always, uh, when, of course it's not always, but most of the time it was a very positive energy about life. That comes from that boldness is part of my personality, being willing to to do something unexpected, something a little different, but but never sacrificing those foundational values. And there's like a lot of instances that um, obviously founding an ad agency, having your roofing company at such a young age, where you have to be bold. I'm just curious, where was the if is there a, is there a memory that you have where you uh, first took that risk and where you operated in that boldness for the first time and maybe surprised yourself. Moving out of the house is a risk. <laughs> Packing up my stuff. It was the middle of the night. Went out, hitched a ride, you know, 20 miles away to, to nearest town and found a place to live. Uh, that's pretty risky. Absolutely. So for you, George, I I can, like myself, if I wanted to do that, I probably at 16 would not have been able to. So if people are in that similar boat or situation where they just want to do something like that and take that big step to make that risk, and there's a lot of things, like let's say they're overthinking a little bit, they have a lot of resistance, there's a lot of what ifs in their back of their mind. What would you say to them in order to get them to kind of encourage them to pursue that risk? That's a really good question. We do hold ourselves back and I don't advocate that people leave the home, you know, as teenagers. I'm not advocating that. <laughs> that was kind of a crazy move. But when I first started my agency, I was 24 years old. I decided I was going to start an agency. I had no money. I was like super poor. But I decided that I was just going to make this happen. And when you're young, you you have so much opportunity that you can take advantage of that doesn't exist as you get older. Uh, at the age of 24, I went to see uh, creative directors in the biggest ad agencies in the country. I even flew to Toronto and I met with some of these people. And they were they opened the door to me and they would talk to me and share secrets that they would never share with 
somebody in their 50s or 60s. It just wouldn't happen, right? You'd now be a competitor to them or, or a risk somehow. But when you're 24, they're willing to help you. So I would say that's opportunity right there. You know, when you're young, take advantage of it. So I started this agency. I had rent uh, for my office of $1,400 a month. And I had all these other expenses. And in the 80s, that was a lot of money. It was a ton of money. I didn't know what I didn't know, so I just did it. And it worked. In the first year, I had uh, revenue was about a quarter million dollars. Uh, I worked with a great leadership coach, and he helped me to identify goals. So he made me write down 10 clients that I wanted to get eventually. I ended up getting five of them in a very short time. So it was, uh, again, that was an example of somebody who just contributed because I was young and enthusiastic and, and he was there willing to share whatever he could share. I mean, I paid him, but uh, when you're young, you get, you have opportunities that now at my age, they don't exist anymore. Uh, you're expected to kind of carry on by yourself at this age, but when you're young, all kinds of people come alongside you. Could you start an ad agency now at the age of 24 in our culture today with no money? Boy, be tough. I think you could though. I think you could. It's also like you, you mentioned this before, but trusting yourself, um, learning to embrace change and taking risks. I mean, it's the perfect combination when you want to make things happen. A lot of people overthink and they are sitting on the fence. They've been saying to themselves that they want it, but their actions don't follow it. And obviously with personal integrity and being your word to yourself and demonstrating that so that it's in the mind of others, that you're someone who's reliable and trustworthy, you're obviously going to stand out in all of these meetings because of the way that you are being. Are there any other features that kind of set you apart, would you say, when you're sitting at these meetings with these mentors or these executives that, you know, you're being bold to be even sitting in front of? Are there any other features that make you stand out? Well, listening, really listening. I think a lot of times, People will, they'll go into a meeting like that. They'll be with somebody they can learn a lot from. They don't really listen. They ask questions with the idea of having a response to what that person says instead of just listening. And sometimes being in the room, I was with a, a company that's now a client. And I was in this initial meeting with the whole board of directors for about two hours. And I hardly said a word. For almost two hours. I just listened, asked a couple of questions here and there, hardly said a word. And at the end of the meeting, they gave me the job to do their work because they said uh, the fact that I had just sat there, listened and asked questions said so much about my character, they wanted to work with me. And I think too often today, we don't take that time to just be quiet and listen, but we have two ears for a reason. Two years in one mouth, right? <laughs> that's a great one to remember. Um, I think that's so important. Like for 
me when I hear that from you, George, that the power of listening is a gift almost is that many people don't see it that way. It's like when we're sitting in a group and we're having conversations, maybe the most quiet person is the one perceived as maybe not contributing too much or um, not being like present in the moment, but we are actually the ones absorbing everything around us and we're actually the ones internalizing everything. And we want to be more careful about the things that we do ask and say. So I think that I would also advocate that listeners are actually very attentive to their environment. They want to be able to process things the right way so that, you know, nobody is like harmed in the process or nobody is um, hurt in the process. And I think that's something that's really important that doesn't get recognized a lot. It's like careful, careful thought with words too. So I think that's just what, yeah, your example reminded me of, George. And in business especially, there is so much emphasis on selling when it comes to business. Uh, marketing, ah, oh, it just drives me crazy. People are always selling. Hype, 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 sell, sell, sell. They don't stop and, and ask questions. And I remember one client that I got, they said to me, do you know why we hired you? And I said, not sure. And they said, because you were the only company that asked us what our goals were. Everybody else, all the other agencies came in here and told us what they could do for us. And when you came in here, you asked, what do you want to achieve? What are your goals? What are your strengths? What do you want to communicate? It was all questions uh, rather than talking down to us. So I think there's some value there and we forget that. But in business, you know, all these people are always coming on, selling, 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 but it's really about listening and asking those important questions and caring about the answer. Pam, you do that really well. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's so true. Like there have been some instances where, and you might've had this experience too. All I do is just maybe ask like a couple questions. And then I get this remark the next day from a person that I was talking to. And they said it was like the best conversation ever. I barely said anything. Like it was basically them talking the entire time but they held the perception afterwards that it was like the best conversation. People love to talk and people like the depth of talking. And I feel as though if you, how I see it at least, is that if there's kind of like gold in every person's mind, I wanna hear the gold. And so I'm gonna ask questions to uncover the deeper truth of why people do things because, well, I don't know why they do things. I know why I kind of do things sometimes, maybe not sometimes, but uh, when we can uncover the deeper layer of why somebody's doing something, it also makes them present to it as well. And it actually teaches them something. And I think that's like the coolest thing. So they're actually having a conversation with themselves going deeper, 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 deeper. And then they walk away being like epiphany. Oh my God. And in some cases, my conversations with people, like they end up, being emotional, like very emotional actually, because it allowed for them to process what there was, what, what was in their mind. And truly it was them having a conversation with themselves. I maybe talked like 10% of the time. I'm curious if you've had any experiences kind of like that. Yeah, I've had many like that. And it's true. People, 
I think they're yearning to be heard. And most of the time, nobody's willing to listen. So then they notice when you do listen, when there's somebody who's who really is interested, makes an impact. Mm -hmm. And Sharon, do you have any instances like where that resonates too? Definitely, yeah. Um, maybe because sometimes I play the role of the listener more often than others. So that actually is a gift and a curse. Like you always mentioned, Cameron, when there's something yeah. that kind of uh, bothers you, that that was a little bit for me. Like I, I didn't mind listening to a lot of conversations and contributing to them. But then at, sometimes I would think that that's the only role that I've had. And so that suppresses me a little bit to have the more of the active role where I'm asking more of the questions that I would want to ask and also talking about myself because that was something that I am not used to. I'm usually more used to talking about the other person. So um, right now, even through this journey, I'm learning to do a little bit more of that and balance each side. Um, but yeah, completely, I've had so many of those experiences. Mm -hmm. And actually on that note, George, because I think that it's a very valuable, if anyone's, if anyone's listening to this and maybe has that experience where, you know, they're, they're, maybe they're always listening and at times it can feel like you're being used. Like all I'm here for is to listen. Like I am just a tool. For other people's success what would you say to that like where you can find balance because at times it can be challenging to create balance where there's self-advocation and also balancing it with listening i'm actually asking this question selfishly i'll just completely uncover that um i mean that probably was completely obvious but anyway i'll just own it <laughs> well you know cam because i mentioned this before one of the people that i admire the most for many years was uh, the late Zig Ziglar, motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar. Read all his books. I saw him in person, listened to his talks about everything he did because I just loved the guy. And one of the things he used to say all the time was, if you help enough other people get what they want, you will get everything in life you want. And I've kind of taken that to heart because uh, I think it's true. So you can listen if you listen with the idea of helping other people, even if it's just a little nugget of information, eventually it'll come back and and you'll achieve something from it. It might not be right away. It might be decades from now. But if you do that to enough people, there's a reward at the end. In my experience, I find that there's almost a flow. So it, there's like Sharon said, there's kind of like a light and dark side of it. And at times I find that maybe the first part of what you spoke about, like the personal integrity and caring for yourself is kind of like the baseline, let's say. Then there's like your word and how you are operating, whether you're consistent in the way that you act towards others. And, you know, when you're able to hone that and then you're able to authentically and I think that's the key word is authentically care for others without it being self-sacrificial. Then you will be able to reap the rewards at the end of the rainbow. However, I think that maybe uh, just something to tie in here, like people pleasing, for example, is an example of something that's an inauthentic way of helping people. 
because many of times it will be a, a there will be sacrifice of self in order to achieve some outcome. And I'm wondering if you have any words, because um, I realize that we're close to our end point here. I'm just wondering if you have any 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 additions on that type of uh, uh, area of co uh, comment. I think you're right. The way I look at it is you're going to, everything we do uh, as human beings yields, it's designed to yield something. Uh, and when we, we either get our reward right away, you know, you, you pay money for something, you get something in return, or you give time to something, you get something in return. So you either get your reward right away or you don't. And it's only the times that you don't care at all if you get it. When you um, pay someone forward, you know, you're in a, in a coffee shop and you pay the next person's bill for them. There's no sense that I'm going to get other than just you felt good that you helped somebody. There's no sense that you're getting a reward. But as soon as you tell someone about it, now you've basically negated what you did. Right? Because mm -hmm. the reward then is the idea is that person will feel something good about you, but that's your reward now. So you've just given up any future karma that you're going to get from that act. Mm. Right? So when we do it, when we really do it selflessly, then we don't expect anything in return. And that can be hard to understand sometimes, but I think it's very true. Absolutely. Sharon, do you have any? Any words on that? Yes, I absolutely love that. It's like being our true self and putting all the good that we can into the world. And eventually it has some way of finding us again. So I really do believe in that. So George, thank you so much for sharing all this word of wisdom and your expertise and your experiences, because I think we have even learned even more from you. What does it mean to be consistent? It means knowing who you are, knowing the what you're, what you want to be remembered for. Um, I had my leadership coach back in the day. He got me to write down my obituary. What did he want people? What did I want people to say about me when I'm gone? And it helped me to think about what are some of these things. Someone who's on time. Somebody who does what he says he's going to do. Somebody who uh, when he makes a commitment, he sticks to it, those kind of things. So then you have to know who you are and then you can be grounded in consistency. Wow. So an obituary exercise, I guess, is what uh, people can leave this conversation with. What do we want to be remembered for when we die? Or further, what legacy do we want to lead? And I think, you know, people often will stray away from thoughts like this, but I invite anyone who is listening to really consider why do you want to wake up tomorrow? What do you want to be remembered for? And uh, yeah, I'm going to take that on. I, uh, I like to think about those things a lot of the time. But uh, I will, uh, just from you sharing, I'll do that tomorrow. So I invite everyone to try that on. <laughs> Thanks so much, George, for uh, speaking with us. 
any final words before we close up? Uh, no, just as much as uh, as I might be an inspiration to you, you're an inspiration to me. So thanks for being in my life, Ken. You're so welcome. I'm I'm very grateful. Thank you so much, George, and for everyone listening. What is our what is our next podcast, Sharon? I think we have our next one in in uh, mid April. Mid April, yeah. With rags. With rags. So Rajesh Nareen is going to be the next guest. So looking forward to that. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you, George, for being here. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon, do you have any last thoughts? Thank you so much, George. <laughs>